Would you like to come up? We have an extra, extra special guest speaker here with us. Keith, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, um, my name's Keith Danby. I work with uh, Safe Families for Children, which is uh, a new initiative that started here in the UK in uh, 2012. Uh, it started originally in uh, Chicago in 2003, and uh, it's designed to keep children out of the care system. So, uh, Sir Peter Vardy, who uh, some of you know, Mike, a good friend of Sir Peter's, uh, he brought it to the UK, and I uh, <clears throat> came to work with him to help him with it. That's amazing. Um, could you tell us about your family, or maybe your favorite hobby? Thing to do? Uh, well, just uh, before, let me just say, before I came to work with uh, Safe Families for Children, I worked with an international ministry called Biblica. You may have heard of it. If you read the NIV Bible and you look at the small print at the beginning, Biblica uh, has 103 different Bible translations and are the license or copyright holders of the NIV Bible. I was the global CEO of that for uh, a number of years and uh, retired uh, from that role on the day of my 25th anniversary and uh, then came to work with Safe Families. That was based in Colorado Springs. So uh, um, I've, I can I'm uh, bilingual. I can speak English and uh, American. I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> so, Keith, last, last question. What do, what do you like to do for fun? What do I like to do for fun? Well, um, I am a passionate, and I mean passionate, Liverpool Football Club fan. God bless you, I see that hand. Um, I am a little less passionate of a runner. I'm uh, 65 in a couple of months' time, but I did the Great North Run. A couple of uh, uh, raising money for safe families. The other thing that is my favorite, now this, I'm one of those guys, those rare individuals that reads books. <laughs> That's two of us. <laughs> so my pastime is I love, I'm a bit... I used to do 200,000 air miles a year. Now that does something to your body, okay? Which means you're a permanent insomniac. You don't sleep much. So one of the things I love to do is get up early, go to my comfy chair, and read a book. So I'm one of those few people, those rare people that read books. I'm glad those still exist. <laughs> All right. Well, we're so happy to have you here. I'll just pray for you and, and let you get on with it. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for Keith. I thank you for bringing him here, God. I just pray that you would bless his message, God. Bless him and um, give him your words to speak to us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Oh, here we go. Um, 
I've got a slight preacher's impediment, and that is I can't speak without my hands. So, let's put that, that's okay. I'll project my voice. If you can't hear me, put your hand up. Um, I like to have a, a couple of house rules, okay? The first is that when I speak, you listen. Okay? Is that okay? When I tell a joke, you laugh. And when you think I've finished, throw me a hand because that's usually when you stop listening and I'll stop speaking. I want to show you, I want to speak for a few minutes about safe families. And uh, we now operate in five regions around the country, the Northeast, Greater Manchester, Merseyside, Nottingham, the Midlands, and we've just started on the South Coast in Southampton. And I want to show you a video clip of the very first family that we helped, and this is a story a true story of a six-year-old boy. Thanks. I am Toby, I am six. I live with my mum, my two sisters and my baby brother. I like playing with Lego. I make cars and rockets. My dad doesn't live with us, but I sometimes see him on the weekend. My mum is busy looking after the baby. She doesn't ever play with me. She gets cross with me because I am naughty, but I can't help it. I get bored and my big sister bullies me, so I fight her. Sometimes I can't hold in how I feel inside and it explodes out. Sometimes when I feel that, like that, I break things and get really angry. I haven't got a bed because I broke one and mummy said I couldn't have another one. I sleep on a duvet but it's wet and smelly. Sometimes I keep food in my room and hide things so I can keep them safe from my little sister. One day things changed. A lady came to see us and played Lego with me and talked to my mum. She came every week. One day the lady said she had a bed I could have. Mummy didn't want me to have another bed because I was naughty, but the lady was sure I would look after it. I was excited. I wanted to tidy my room so it was ready for my new bed. The lady was really kind and showed me how to hoover, so I tidied and hoovered my room. Then I did the hall and the stairs so the whole house would be ready for my new bed. My mum noticed I had tidied up and was really pleased with me. When the bed came, it wasn't just the bed. I had new sheets, a pillow, I didn't have a pillow before, a new quilt, a 
and a cover. There was even a little toy dog wrapped up in the sheets. It was the best thing I have ever been given, and it was all for me. My room looks really good and didn't smell anymore. My mum thought it was really good too. That night, I got into bed, and it was like sleeping in a cloud. It was so comfortable and warm. I am going to keep my room tidy forever now. The lady. Still comes to see us every week. Things are a bit better at home, and my mum is more happy. There are lots of families like us that need someone like Susan. Please, can you help some other family too? I want to just say three things about. The care system here in the UK. There are 90,440 children being looked after in England. 90,400 children being looked after. Fact number one. Fact number two: 60% of those children shouldn't be in care at all. Shouldn't be in care at all. And the third fact is, 43% of that 90,000 will end up in the criminal justice system, some sort of、uh, prison, youth offender institution, and 40% of the 43%. Will reoffend when they get out of prison in the next couple of years, and it's a cycle. It's a trap. I was with a local authority just a couple of weeks ago, and somebody said to me, "If a child is in care for three weeks, they're likely to be there until they're 17." Save families for children. Is a church-based charity that's rising up to do something to stop that terrible disease that's taking hold of this country. Now, it's a church-based charity. Can we have that slide, please? And we have three roles that people just like the vine. Can be involved in. First of all, there are host families. I guarantee, here in this congregation, there are people who've got a spare room, <coughs> and that you could look after a child for a couple of nights to a couple of weeks to help a mum that's overwhelmed and not coping. When a crisis comes to the home, two things happen: the carers, the mum and dad, are trying to sort it out. And when a child is kicking off in the corner, that's a very volatile situation, and the child could very quickly become subject to abuse 
or to neglect. If we can get in early, the church can come and help that situation. And we can take the child out of that just for a couple of nights. We can diffuse it. So that's a host family. Secondly, the next role is a family friend. A mom that is feeling isolated, doesn't have friends or family around, needs a listening ear, needs somebody to just have a cup of coffee once a week, or to go into the home and to be a friend, a mentor, and a support. Maybe just an hour or a couple of hours a week. A family friend. And thirdly, a resource friend. Who of us here that are homeowners haven't got rooms, roof spaces or garages stuffed with stuff we no longer need? Some resource stretched single mom could do with what you are no longer using. So you could be a resource friend. You may not be able to host a, a child. You may not be able to be a friend. But you could be a resource friend and give. We don't ask the church. Mike, you'd be happy about this. We don't ask the church for money. We ask the church for volunteers. And in case you're worried, we don't ask the volunteers for money. We ask the, resort, the, the volunteers for time. That's Safe Families for Children. Maybe you could be involved. Right across there, strategically placed next to the coffee, is some literature. Two pieces. A general piece of literature which you can take with you and give you a bit more details about Safe Families and a card, and there's some pens on the table, and if you're interested in knowing more, getting the monthly e-news, or being interested in one of those three roles, maybe you could put your name, your email address, and maybe your mobile number, and we could get in touch with you. Thanks very much. I want to uh, spend a few moments telling you three Bible stories. One, all three of these Bible stories you'll know very well, probably could tell them even better than me. The story of the Good Samaritan. Secondly, the story of the woman at the well. And thirdly, the story about the feeding of the 5,000. Three stories, but with three important messages. We're just going to read one of the stories from Luke 15. If you've got it on your phone or you've got a Bible, then it's Luke 15. Let me give you a bit of context. Jesus is talking to a lawyer, an expert in the law. And they're talking about eternal life. And two main things come out of this. First of all, there's a big statement. 
And then there's a big question. We're going to cut into the story on verse 30. The lawyer says to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, in reply, Jesus said, there was a man going down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going by on the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. He saw him, he took pity on him, and he went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Let's just pray. Lord, I pray that you would open the word of God to our hearts and open our hearts to the word of God. Amen. I've been in Christian work for 30 years. That's longer than some of you have lived. I've learned two things. First of all, There is an increasing number of people in the church today that no longer know what they believe. They don't read their Bibles, they don't read Christian books, and they couldn't give an intellectual, intelligent account of the hope that's within them. They don't know what they believe. Now, I know a little bit about this church. I know a lot about Mike. And you probably say, well, we're not in that category. We're trained in the Word of God. We're trained in discipleship. And we know what we believe. So that big first problem doesn't include us. So let me tell you what the second big problem is. Those of us who pride ourselves in knowing what we believe, we don't believe it. We no longer believe it. There's a massive disconnect between what we say we believe and how we behave. And that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. Looking at these three stories, we see the first story, and the headlines of the story are that a Jewish man, a religious man, is on a journey. He's going from Jerusalem, the center of worship, down to Jericho, probably minding his own business, just going about his task. And he gets jumped upon by some robbers. They beat him up. They strip him of his clothes. 
and they leave him at the side of the road half dead. Now Jerusalem's the center of worship. It employs lots of people to run the temple. And this road from Jerusalem to Jericho is very busy. Often with people at the end of the week that have been working in the temple all week going home. And so the first guy to come along the road is a priest. And he comes and he sees the guy lying half dead and he crosses the road and passes by. The second guy to come is a Levite. He's kind of a religious guy. And he does exactly the same as the priest. Nothing. Nothing. The third guy to come along is a Samaritan. Now, to understand this story, you've got to understand that the Jews and the Samaritans, they hate each other. They don't connect. They don't talk. They, go a mile, they would run a mile from each other. But this Samaritan comes along and he sees, he recognizes immediately this Jew half dead at the side of the road. Now I don't know how they recognized him, but he did know that he was a Jew. And the Samaritan crosses the road. He crosses the road. And he takes his donkey, he gets some bandages and tries to clean up the wounds with oil and wine. He tries to take care of him. He puts him on his donkey. He takes him to a nearby motel or inn. And he uses his own money to look after him for a couple of nights. point of this story is the Samaritan loved the stranger loved the stranger his own people the priest and the Levite who should have been looking after their own are too busy too preoccupied to care But the guy who was the stranger, the outcast, he goes to show the love and compassion of Christ. You know, as part of the body of Christ, as part of the followers of Jesus, you have no choice in loving the stranger. Because it's part of what I call the biblical mandate. In the Old Testament, the scriptures talk about loving the, wind the widows, the orphans, the homeless, the foreigners, the strangers, the poor, and the children. You haven't got a choice. If you want to connect 
between what you believe and how you behave, you have no choice but to love the stranger. In the New Testament, Jesus talked about looking after the foreigner, the homeless, the children, the poor, the widows. It's there. You have no choice. One of the books I have recently read, and you might start to question, I, we, I read very widely, by the way. I recently read a book by a former chief rabbi, Jonathan Sachs. And the title of the book is Not in God's Name. He wrote it in response to 9-11 and the rise of uh, the... Islamic tension, and this is what he says. Really powerful statement. Our humanity must transcend cultural and religious differences. If you see a man dying on the side of the road, you can't cross the road because say he's not a Christian, so therefore I won't help him. Our humanity must transcend our religious and cultural differences. Pain and distress and difficulty, these transcend the language of difference. One of your famous American leaders, civil rights leader, Martin Luther King said this, Darkness cannot drive out light. Only light can drive out darkness. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can drive out darkness. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can drive out hate. There needs to be a connect between what we believe and how we behave. We must love the stranger. Safe Families for Children is all about loving the stranger. We live in a world which is now called a global village. We buy stuff from all over the world. We listen to the news about what's going all over the world. And as we become global in our thinking, but we become even more nationalistic in our culture. How many of you could tell me what the verse Acts 1.8 says? Acts 1.8. Bible scholars. Jenna. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be given power to be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, 
and the uttermost parts of the world. Not bad for a Bible's publisher, eh? Where was Jerusalem? Jerusalem was right there at home. Where was Judea? Judea was the neighboring district. Where was Samaria? What have we just learned about Samaria? <coughs> Samaria was the no-go area. The Jews never went there. And then to the uttermost parts of the world. Let me tell you this. In the biblical economy, there are no no-go areas. There are no no-go areas. I lived in Northern Ireland for 18 years. My wife was from Belfast. My two daughters were born in Northern Ireland. What do we know about the tension in Northern Ireland? The Protestant and the Catholic. I lived in America for five years. What do we know about racial tension in America? The blacks and the whites. And by the way, it is still there. It is still there. Wherever you go in the world, there are tensions. I've been to India 103 times. The tension there is not the Protestants and the Catholics. It's not the blacks and the whites. It's the Hindus and the Muslims. If you go into Palestine, all over the world, there is racial tension. And we're building up our bunkers, and we're building up our defenses, and we're building up our no-go areas. Friends, there are no no-go areas if you are part of the family of Christ. And you've got to cross the road to love the stranger. Let's quickly look at the second story. We have to love the strugglers. This is the story about Jesus meeting a thirsty woman. Now, she was a Samaritan. Jesus, the story tells us, he's on a journey. He's going from the south to the north, and it was quite normal for the Jews to go right round the border of the country, rather than take the direct route, the quickest route. And the story tells us that he has an appointment with a woman. And he stops at a well, and the woman comes. Now this woman is an isolated woman. She's got some issues in her life. And she's thirsty for reality. She's had a number of husbands... And the guy that she's currently living with is not even her husband. She's ridiculed by the other woman in the, women in the community. And she has to come at midday at the hottest point they used to go in the morning 
or in the evening when it was cool. But she comes at midday when the sun's at its hottest to draw water because she doesn't want to be ridiculed by the other women of the community. She's feeling isolated. She's feeling hurt. And she's thirsty for reality. And in the course of the conversation that Jesus has with her, he knows all about her, and he sees right to the heart of her need. He didn't cross the road. He didn't go round the edge of the country. He engages with her. He sees what her deepest need is. She's thirsty. And she's struggling. And he offers her to quench her thirst and to meet the deepest need in her life. Jesus loved the strugglers. The strugglers. Now maybe you have got it all together. Maybe you are one of these guys that it's all together. You've got no financial worries. You've got no terrible two kids. You've got no teenagers with attitude. You've got no young adults with crippling debt. You've got it all together. I'd like to meet you afterwards. Because I've been waiting to meet one of those people for a long time. But the rest of us, I don't know about you, we're fellow strugglers. And as fellow strugglers, I've got good news for you. Jesus loves the strugglers. And if you are here today, and you feel that your life is falling apart, Jesus wants to meet you because he loves strugglers. Finally, the last story. Jesus is at the height of his popularity. He's got crowds following him all over the place. And he decides with his followers, his disciples to go up on the mountain for some peace and quiet. But the word gets out where he's going. And roughly speaking, there's about 12,000 people following him. Okay? The the Bible says 5,000 men. But there's probably at least 5,000 women And there's a whole lot of kids. In the UK, we go 2.4 children per family. So I've kind of worked out there was at least 12,000 of them there on the side. They've been listening to Jesus all day. And at the end of the day, Jesus not only has concern for their spiritual food, 
he recognizes they're going to be hungry. And he turns to his disciples and he says to them, what are we going to give these people to eat? There's no Sainsbury's 7-Eleven. There's no Tesco's Express. They're on a mountainside. One of them says, well, even if there was a Tesco's or a Sainsbury's, we'd need a year's wages to give them some, a proper meal. And then there's a guy, now you Bible scholars, look about in the Bible about Andrew. I love Andrew. Because every time you talk about Andrew, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. That's a good reputation to have, isn't it? And Andrew pops up. You know one of these guys that opens their mouth and you put, want to put your foot in it? He says, there's a boy. And he's got his packed lunch. But what good is this amongst so many? Now, by the way, his packed lunch were five oat crackers and some sardines, some fish in oil. Not a terribly appetizing meal. But listen to this. Jesus loves the stranded. When your back's up against the wall and you run out of options, Jesus is a good person to turn to. And this is what I want you to take away from this. It's not what you've got in your hand that's important. You may look in the mirror and you think, I'm not only an accident, I look like an accident. It's not what you've got in your hand that's important. It's who you give it to. And Jesus loves to take the five loaves and the two fish and feed a multitude. God plus you is a majority. Every one of us in this room were born with natural gifts. Some are good at this, some are good at that, some are musical, some are artistic. When you become indwelt by the Spirit of God, you're given spiritual gifts. Now you might be looking at somebody else's gift and think, I couldn't possibly do that. Stop looking at them and look at what you've got. And learn to give what you've got to God. And he's just waiting. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to do a miracle in somebody else's life. Three simple stories. We've got to love the stranger. We've got to cross the road. We've got to love the strugglers. There are thirsty people out there that are looking for somebody to quench, somebody or something to quench their thirst. You know the answer to that. It's Jesus. Thirdly, there are lots of people right here in Thornaby, in Greater Middlesbrough and Stockton, who are stranded. They're isolated. They haven't got enough. They're struggling. I understand there are 56 different ethnic groups in the Greater Stockton Middlesbrough area. They are the strangers that you have got to go and love. They're the strangers that this week you will go and love and help. This is the blessing that we have as being part of the body of Christ. We can cross the road and we can be part of the solution, not part of the problem. God bless you.